Colossians 1, let me call your attention to verse 15. We'll read from verse 15 down to verse 20. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 15. <clears throat> he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Here's Christmas, verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, by the Spirit, you would open ears and eyes to hear and see that you will help us. We want to be joyful at Christmas, and we need you to help us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's a real thing, wanting to be joyful at Christmas. It's hard sometimes. The reality of tragedy in your life, if you've had something like that, the reality of tragedy in your life can be bewildering at Christmas. You can feel numb. You can feel somehow... Uh, disconnected. <clears throat> Even your mind, you, you sort of think in slow motion. Christmas cards don't cheer you up. Christmas parties don't bring joy. If you have time off, that little bit of time off, it feels like suspended animation. For a lot of people sitting in this room right now, Christmas becomes this strange spotlight that shines right down on your source of pain. Makes it hard to be thankful, impossible to be cheerful. You don't want to be around a lot of people. Any attempt at normalcy seems fruitless. All of us at some level, all of us at some level have some sort of aching dullness that threatens to rob us of that central core essential of Christianity which is joy. Connie and I discussed some of this as we wrestled through our own fog, and something she said, something she said drove me to this passage. Standing in the kitchen, she said, you know, we, we have the gospel. Beautiful promise of the love and the 
and the hope and the, the care of God. The care of God found in Jesus. In his perfect life for your sinful life. In his death on the cross to pay for your sins. In his resurrection that tells you that you can have hope. Look, that's why I've partly, partly that's why I've landed in Colossians this morning in this beautiful declaration of the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things. It's a beautiful letter written to a church at Colossae. Paul is, he's fighting heresy. And in, in order to fight heresy, Paul is, Paul is doing what I need to do. Paul's doing what we need to do. He's getting the church to look up and see the supreme smiling face of Jesus. Not just as, a, as an opiate or a pill to take away pain. He'll do that, but that's not all he does. He's not just a crutch to help you hobble through life. I want you to see Christ as your king. I want you to know his, his all-encompassing love. I want you to realize. I want you to realize who you belong to and, and, and think through who you are because of who you belong to. Do you know who he is and, and who he is and what that means for you? So that you walk out of here today and Christmas comes tomorrow and you know that you actually are going to make it. I hope to convince you. If you'd like to write things down, here it is. I hope to convince you to base who you are on who he is. You to base who you are on who he is. This passage, that's what it does. This passage makes us stop and look at who he is. So let's take the points. Let's go through them. We'll go slowly at first and we'll, we'll pick up speed as we get close to the finish line. You ready? Here's the first one. Number one, he is God. He is God. Verse 15, do you see it there in verse 15? Look what Paul says. Paul tells us he is the image of the invisible God. That word image is the word icon. He is what represents for us. He's letting us know and if you're at church for the first time, then it's good for you to hear this. Stay with me the whole time, but hear this. He's letting us know that you can't see God, you can't feel God, you can't believe God unless you actually see him in Christ. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Look, but if you do know him, for those of you that you can give testimony to this, if you do know him, if you have trusted in his life for your life, in his death on the cross for your sins, in his resurrection for your forgiveness, then you do know God. And if you do know God, the Bible says that God is close to the brokenhearted. What did John say? The writer of the Gospel of John, I'll be reading it tonight. John chapter 1, verse 18, John tells us, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, that's Jesus, he has made God known to us. 
Look, it's vital that we grasp and hold on to one of the, these fundamental Christian truths. Here at Hickory Grove, we believe a lot in doctrine. We want to have good, sound, solid doctrine. We want to make sure that the foundation is laid deep. But doctrine always feeds devotion. That's why we pay attention to it. That's what informs devotion, and then that devotion becomes a fuel for mission. We need to get a hold of this fundamental truth that the unique, exclusive nature of Christ, if we lose the unique, exclusive nature of Jesus Christ, then we lose the gospel. Jesus, he is the, the perfect, the completely, absolutely accurate image of God. What did the writer of Hebrews say? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, that he is the exact representation of his nature, which tells you everything about who you are if you are in Christ. So I guess my point in this first one is, if you're a Christian, get your head up. The Jesus that you believe in is God. Something else here, let's go to the second point, number two. He is the focus, verse 15, he is the focus of our lives. Do you see what he says? He is the image of the invisible God and then the firstborn. Let's circle that word. The firstborn of all creation. What does that mean? The firstborn, the Greek word is protokos, P-R-O-T-O-K-O-S, if you like that sort of thing. That means more than just he's firstborn out of six or seven or eight children. It's not what he's saying first, and there's a second and third, firstborn is more like a rank. Paul is saying he is the only son that can take the full inheritance of who God is. Or firstborn, it is a, it is a title telling us of the supremacy of Christ. When you read the Bible, you'll find that used oftentimes to, to display the rank of someone. For instance, you're reading in Genesis, you get to the story of Jacob and Esau. They are twin brothers. And although Esau is born first, God says that Jacob is his firstborn. When you get to Exodus and you're reading about God's people in Exodus chapter 4, although there have been other nations before Israel, Exodus chapter 4, God says, I will make my chosen people Israel the firstborn. It's a title. When you read the Psalms in Psalm 89 and you get to the, the Messianic Psalm, and in that Psalm, God says of his Messiah, I will make him my firstborn. It's important because false gospels, like Jehovah's Witness, false gospels have taken this verse to say Jesus was born. And Firstborn, meaning he's not fully God. But if you take verse 15 and verse 16, you put them together, and you see the exalted status of Jesus, Paul is calling for us to focus on him, the firstborn, the Lord. What do you focus on? I, I know it's Christmas. I want you to focus on his life. I want you to focus, especially if you've been plagued with sin, you... You can't seem to shake guilt. I want you to focus on the perfect life of Jesus, his righteousness. I want you to focus on his, his words. What has Jesus said? The promises of Jesus. I want you to focus on his cross. This is, this is the heart of Christianity. We focus on Jesus Christ dying in the place of 
in my place, taking the wrath of God. I'm not under the judgment of God. Jesus took the judgment of God that has been taken away from me. Focus on the cross of Jesus. Focus on the resurrection of Jesus. If you are suffering a terminal illness or you've lost someone close to you that was a believer, it's good for you to think about the resurrection. If you're hurting, I want you to focus on the wounds. Think of the wounds that Jesus took. There is healing in the wounds of Jesus. This text tells us he is our focus. Is he your focus? There's a third point I want you to see about Jesus. <clears throat> he is the sovereign. It's control. He is sovereign over our days. Sovereign over our days. Now, if you wanted to, you could take verse 16, and maybe you should do this. Go and do a study of verse 16 and see how everything is listed out, how Christ is sovereign over all. It is a beautiful, we could spend all of our time. Today, I'm just a tour guide. I'm walking by things and pointing them out. You can go back. If you really like what I point out, go back and study it yourself. But let's just, just see something here. Let's just read in verse 16, the first two-thirds of the verse. Let me just read it. First two-thirds, verse 16. For by him, by him, all things were created. Now pause, look what the all things is. It's good. It, Paul is, is explaining for us. By Jesus, all things were created. What things are those? Well, he gives us top to bottom. All things in heaven, all things in earth, whether you can see it visibly or it's invisible. And then he lists the powers, whether it's thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all that God made. Okay, when you go in January, if you start a reading plan, I hope you will pick up, maybe read the Bible through this year. You get to Genesis chapter 1, you'll see God creating. There you have creation in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. All that God created in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, he made by means of Christ. Jesus doesn't show up just at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look, we are Trinitarian. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and perfect fellowship throughout all eternity. And there at creation, Jesus was not only there at creation, Jesus was what creation was made through. Whatever you see, whatever the realities that you see, look, even your enemies, which is hard for me to believe, but even your enemies, even people that right now do not recognize that they owe their very existence to Christ, even they are his handiwork. And if he is the creator, that means he has prerogative. Do you understand the word prerogative? That he has the right. If he is the potter, we are the clay. The potter does what he wants with the clay. And sometimes what he does with us is beyond us. Some of you walk, some of you sitting right here, walking through it, and you wonder why. Brokenhearted or just heavy-hearted, maybe just dull-hearted. And sometimes the, the potter throws us onto the hard ground of trust. Trust. 
You understand trust. You get in your car, hopefully you've got enough wisdom to put on your seatbelt. My whole life, my dad made us put on, the car did not start moving until he heard the seatbelt click. Seatbelt. If you have a well-built car and you are wearing a seatbelt and you are in a bad crash, there is a good chance you are going to survive that crash. That seatbelt held you in. Now, you crawl out from that wreck, you're going to be hurting, you're going to be sore, there are going to be marks across your body from that seatbelt, but that seatbelt saved you. The sovereignty of God is like that, like a seatbelt. You go into a wreck and it feels like it's the end, but that seatbelt holds you in. You get out from under that wreck and you're marked up, but you've been saved by the seatbelt. That's what Christ is. That's where he is for us. You look at that verse that he has created all things and through him and for him. We trust that, you see. We trust the one who's created us and saved us, that he is working all things together for good. Look, in this verse, Paul Paul mentions in verse 16, all the, you see all the power structures of the universe. All the power structures of the universe. Look, we, we got an election coming up a couple of years. I, I dread, just as a pastor of a church, I dread politics. Because everybody wants my opinion. And it changes from day to day. But you know what I can take some comfort in is this right here, verse 16 all the power structures in the known universe, whether they are things we don't see or things we do see, whether government that's local or national or in the world, even those powers that are in utter rebellion against God, Christ remains the true Lord over them. But, but look, he's not just sovereign. Let's go to the fourth point. Verse 16, in the middle, verse 16 tells us he is the reason we live. Go, go back and read it now. Go back and read it all and all the way through and get that last phrase. Verse 16. <clears throat> For by him all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. You ought to circle that phrase. Created for him. If you're sitting in this room right now and you are not a Christian or you don't believe in God, I want you to know that God has created you through Christ and he's created you for him. The reason that you actually have been created in the image of God, the reason that you bear the image of God, the reason that we see the dignity in you and you have that dignity, all that potential that you have, a lot of you have all that potential and talent. All that motivation. Some of, you, some of you don't have talent. You got motivation. Maybe you got these gifts. Maybe you've been given resources. Maybe you, the Lord has blessed you with resources and you have money. You can give that. Whatever you've been given. Maybe you, maybe you have the capacity to love. There are people in this room that really God has gifted with the ability to actually love other people. You're sensitive in nature. Or, or maybe you're smart. You, think, you can think things through. You're administratively gifted. 
Or maybe you don't have any of that. Maybe you just know how to work. You've just been given the ability to work and you can work all day. Or maybe your ability is that you can encourage people. Or maybe you just can endure. You can grit your teeth and get through anything. All of that, whatever you have, was given to you by God for Christ. So that you might trust in the grace of God found at the cross... And if you don't trust in the grace of God found at the cross, all you have been given is a waste. And we can think of people like that. Have been given these gifts, and God has given those gifts. They have been given in Christ, but they are not used to glorify God, and it's a waste. Some of you feel like you've been put aside for a little bit. You've been put aside with what you're dealing with, what you're going through, what you're carrying, the weight that you're carrying. That has been given to you. It's been given to you for Christ. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Look, I, I, uh, I, like, I like history. I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't want to call myself a history buff because the moment you call yourself a history buff, somebody that knows more than you is going to put a test to you. So, I, I like history. I like cemeteries. I like to go to the cemeteries. Connie and I uh, will visit cemeteries. Uh, I say Connie and I, I'll drag her there to the cemeteries. <clears throat> we went on a, in fact, we went on a celebration of our 20th anniversary to Salisbury. They got a great cemetery there. <laughs> That's the honest truth. And a lot of you have given me a hard time about that. I like the tombstones. I like to see what they've said. I like to see how they're shaped. I want to see, uh, I want to see what's written. The radical reformer, Count Zinzendorf, you can look him up. Count Zinzendorf said that our life's work is to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Why? Because he, you see, He's the reason we live, and you were made for him. That's four points. Let's get a fifth one. Number five. Mm -mm. Number five, he holds it all together. He holds it all together. You see it in verse 17? Read it. Verse 17, read it slow, think it deep. Or to say it better, read it slowly, think it deeply. Look what the text says in verse 17. He is before all things. He is before all things. He is the first truth. He is the pre-existent one. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, think that through with me just for a minute. Okay, so I'm not a philosopher. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He sustains it all. All things. So if you think of something like gravity, God has given that. He holds it together. Or if you rode in a vehicle today, the air in your tires, Christ held that together. Or the pew you're sitting on, even if it's sway back, the reason it hadn't fallen to the ground, Christ held it together. Last six months I've been in a gaining phase. I hadn't tried on this vest until today. It is only God holding these buttons here. 
there are some things that you ought to be thankful for. You think of the mortar and the bricks right here. It's being held together. The roof above our head, held by God. If that's the case, if he is doing a hundred billion things like that right now, don't you think God who redeemed you, don't you think God who redeemed your life can keep you from dropping into chaos? Can't he handle what you have? What did the, uh, the great Dutch prime minister from the 1900s, Abraham Kuyper, a lot of you know him, Abraham Kuyper, what did he say? Abraham Kuyper said that there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which our sovereign Christ doesn't say that is mine. Now, if that's true, if that's true, that has implication for us. If, if he's the sustainer, then he does something with the failures and the hurts does something with it, with the tragedy and the boredom. He does something with it, with the disappointments and the pains. And what you thought would tear you apart and destroy you, verse 17, in him, all things hold together. Now, <clears throat> I know it's Christmas Eve, and time is drawing nigh. I've given you five points. I've done it fairly slowly. You're going to be amazed at how I can give you six points. You ready? <laughs> you ready? Here we go. Here's number six. I'm going to give it to you, all of the whole thing. Merry Christmas is my gift to you. Here it is. Number six, I want you to see that he is Lord of the church. He is Lord of the church. Do you see what it says in verse 18? Look what Paul tells us. He is the head of the body, the church. He is Lord of the church. That means that any church that is a church has the centrality of Christ, that they preach Christ, his perfect life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, that the only hope is in Christ. Any church that is a church preaches the power of the gospel because he is Lord of the church and the only power the church has is the power of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Any church that is a church points you to the inerrancy of Scripture. What does the Bible say? If the Bible is read, that is God speaking. Any church that is a church tells you of the sufficiency of Scripture, that the Bible is able to hold you up and point you to Christ. Brothers and sisters, that's what's wrong with the, that's what's happening in the United Methodist Church right now. Walked away from the Bible. Paul says he's head of the church. And Jesus said, on that, I will build my church. The church exists by and through and for Christ. Let me give you something else you'll notice. Number seven, he is where life begins. Life begins. You see it, don't you, in verse 18? You probably have already pointed it out. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. Just circle that word, beginning. It's the Greek word, arche, arch, where we get arch as the first. Can be used if you squeeze the word enough. You'll find that this is the source that Christ is the source. He's the beginning of your life. You want to actually live. Put your faith in Christ. 
The Bible tells us that the last day on the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out in a loud voice and he said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from his inmost being will flow rivers of living water. Jesus said, if you will, if you will come to me, I have come that you might have life. That's what the gospel is. When we talk about the gospel, God creating us in his image, that image being disfigured by our sin, that sin bringing a penalty which is death. God giving us Christ who lived in our place and took the death we deserve and God raised him from the dead and the promise, the hope of the gospel is if you will trust, if you'll trust that, you see. It's where life begins. There's an eighth point. We find in, in verse 18, that is that he is our only hope. Look, if you've got a terminal disease, and you lost someone that is a believer, you cling to verse 18. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? By this time, there have been others that have been raised from the dead. The little girl, Jairus' daughter, raised from the dead. The most famous, Lazarus, raised from the dead. Why weren't they the firstborn from the dead? Because they died again. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and took the, the death penalty for us, when God raised him from the dead, he gave him a new body, a resurrection body, so that on the other side of the cross, post-crucifixion, post-propitiation, what you have is this picture of of new life and forgiveness and hope and joy and, and healing. It's good at Christmas to remember he is our only hope. I'll give you another point, number nine. And that is that he is the real king. The real king. Verse 18, at the very end of verse 18, here is where the demand. Now here, this is your, this is your response. This is the, the, the demand, verse 18. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Here comes the demand that in everything he might be preeminent. What is that word preeminent? First place, top priority, the only one that matters. Paul has been saying all of this about Jesus is true. All of it is true so that you will see he is what matters that he is the real king. Have you made Christ in your life preeminent? Is that what drives your hopes and dreams, your attitude, your living? He's the real king. That's number nine. How about number 10? Number 10 is Christmas. Verse 19 is Christmas. We finally got there. Number 10 tells us that he is our joyful savior. Verse 19 is full. <clears throat> the two words there in verse 19, one word is the word fullness and the other word is the word pleased. That word fullness is pleroma. It means uh, all that is God. And that word pleased is joy. So with that in mind, let me read verse 19. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's where we get our doctrine that not just is Jesus fully man, this is our doctrine that tells us he's fully God. 
that all that it means to be God, he didn't give up his godness to come and save us, to be fully God. Not only that, the text tells us in verse 19, all that is God, the fullness of God in him, it was pleased. There was happiness. That, that being saved is happy. One of the things about Christmas, I was, we were talking, a group of us were the other day, about why, why do we sing more songs at Christmas? Like we have other big Christian circumstances. What about Easter? And there, there are lots of things you can look to when you're a Christian to celebrate, but when it comes to Christmas, we sing all kinds. We love Christmas music. If something happens at Christmas. All the fullness of God was happy to be there. That our God was happy to come and get us. That the actual rescue worked. That the fullness of God is happy to dwell there. Our joyful Savior. I'm going to give you 11 one, and I'll be done. If you'll come back tonight. Number 11. <laughs> Number 11, he is our only peace. Isn't it the truth? He is our only peace. So in verse 20, you have, have, the, have something that will be in the future and then in the present. Future and the present. Verse 20. <clears throat> and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether in heaven or in earth. That's in the future. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, they weren't just cursed. All of creation was cursed. We've been living under a cursed creation since then, and at the cross of Jesus, there is this future glory coming right here. When the new heavens and the new earth will one day will come, we look forward to that day. What about now? Verse 20. Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or in earth, earth or in heaven, right now, this is you, right now, making peace. By the blood of his cross. The curse one day will be lifted for all creation. The curse right now can be lifted for you. Making peace by his blood. It is, look, it is Christmas. And I want you to know who he is. And I want you to base who you are on who he is. We are told who he is. Verse 19 tells us that the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in Jesus. Verse 20 tells us that he has made peace between you and God through the blood of his cross. Will you trust him? Will you put your trust and your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ who lived perfectly, died on the cross in your place, was raised from the dead victoriously, has ascended into heaven and waits on you to turn to him. This morning as we prepare for the last song of worship, I'm going to ask you to join me in a moment of prayer and commitment. With your heads bowed this morning and maybe even your eyes closed, won't you join me now as we go into a time of commitment and prayer. As we prepare to sing the last song, I mentioned on the front end that Christmas can be a heavy time for many people. Maybe you've let that get a hold of you and you'd like to come and ask God to help you just to lift that, that the gospel would lift that. Maybe you've heard this 
And today, for the first time, you realize, I, I don't know Jesus as Savior. I, don't, I didn't understand Christmas till today. You'd like to talk to somebody. You want to talk to one of our pastors? We'll be down front here. We'll see others that, that are going to come. I would invite you, when we sing, to come and pray or to come and talk to a pastor. Father, thank you for the good word you've given us in the Bible. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for our church to gather together and celebrate. Father, I pray that, that your spirit would be present for healing and hope and saving. Be honored now as we sing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you stand, please, as we sing together?